It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favorite ask of you. We'd really appreciate it. You took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes. And while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate. Make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Andy, as I am, week after week. Okay, let me just say, fantastic. Fantastic. No complaints. No complaints. All right, and we are honored to be joined by the superstar who is Anthony Iannarino. Anthony, how are you? I am perfect. Thanks, Randy. How are you? Good, good. So we're honored to have you on our humble show here on Friday. Um, yeah, Anthony, uh, people I'm sure know Anthony at salesblog.com, yanarino.com, author of the great new book, a relatively new book, which has one of the great titles that everybody wishes they had named their book, which was The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, uh, a book well worth reading. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure how we're going to explain that title when the new book comes out. In about, <laughs> I know, uh, and also Andy's months, so. books and <laughs> Andy's books. I don't know how you guys are even on the same show. <laughs> well, I, yeah, uh, and the new book, Anthony. I can't wait to hear what the title is of that. That's got to be creative. The new book is just kidding. It's the only other sales guide you'll, <laughs> you'll ever, ever need, need and That's, I really, really mean it this time. This I time promise. I, mean, I promise. Right. That's good. So, yeah. That's good. <laughs> well. Yeah, we're we're glad to have Anthony here because Anthony had written an article that that I thought was really interesting because uh, you know it, it pushes back against some of the notions that are you know such great currency in the tech industry, Silicon Valley, and so on about the very specialized, extremely hyper specialized sales roles and how that works out. And I thought, gosh, you know, what better way to to talk about this? Bring Anthony on. We've got. Myself, I got Bridget, who who manages sales teams like that, and builds sales teams like that. And I thought, well, hey, let's get together and talk about it. So, if people didn't read the article, it's, it was titled "The New Sales Roles Are Taylorism Taken Too Far." Anthony posted that on March thirtieth on his blog. Um, so, Anthony, let's just start by defining what Taylorism is, so people understand that. Taylorism um, is the idea of, from the industrial age, and it's almost like we're in, and some people call this the the second industrial age, but it, it's the idea that work can be broken down into specific tasks and made to be more efficient and thereby gain speed. And the idea was applied to manual labor, particularly um, factory work. And now what I see, I'm calling it Taylorism because I think we're doing the same thing in sales, saying we're going to separate all these roles almost like an assembly line. And we're going to have people that turn this particular lug nut really fast so that we can move the car down. And then this person can do the next lug nut or whatever the case may be. And it really isn't how sales works, in my view. So I think it's a good idea to say there are specialists in some areas and there are certain roles that some people might do 
at a at a higher rate or more frequently than other people. But to decide to slice it so many ways is disruptive. And it's disruptive not to us because um, we, we can manage that. But I think it's disruptive to the client. And when you look at their lens about what does it feel like to be qualified? If all the value that somebody in a role that's as limited as we've limited a BDR, where the BDR everybody hates. Why? Because if I'm your client, you're qualifying me. If you do more than qualify me and I hand you off to an AE, they're mad that you stole all my thunder by giving some value on that call. And now I don't have anything to do. So it's a tough role, but we've designed this and sliced it so thinly now that it's very, very difficult to make sense of what salespeople are supposed to be doing and how they create value for clients. Okay. So uh, have you read Justin Roth's Marsh? Justin Roth Marsh's book, The The Sales Machine? Um, I don't need to. I, I know him and I know his work. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and he obviously advocates you know, sort of hyper specialization in the sales roles, uh, even beyond what, what you discussed there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, Bridget, you've read the article, sir. What's, what's your take about, you know, generally, and we're going to dive into the specifics. So, but, you know, broad take about what Anthony's talking about. Well, you know, I always, I, I've been a fan to some extent of specialization. I think as you point out, Anthony, it's, it's good for us on this side. How good is it for our prospect or customer? That's, you know, depends on really how you define the role of the SDR. And I think that they have to bring some value. If they don't bring some value, even to the customer, it isn't, or the prospect, it's not worth doing. So, I, I'm, I, I like, I really liked your blog post. I thought it was very provocative, very, um, thoughtful with the team that I have now. I don't have SDRs or BDRs or whatever you want to call them. And part of it is, is I think there is value in having a sales rep do sort of the beginning to end of the sales cycle. It just, it depends. I've, I, I don't have a one size fits all. Well, I was going to say, don't you think that that certainly in the SaaS business these days, there's sort of this enforced conformity to this model, if, whether it's driven by investors or by you know, people moving from company to company, there's, there's a basic assumption that this is the most effective sales model. Definitely. And, and I think it's our job to also challenge the assumptions. And Andy, I know I've told you this, when I was... Uh, before I joined Logs.io, which is an Israeli company, and I talked to various investors and VCs, and I had said to one of them, why in the world would I join a company that is in Tel Aviv, where I'm going to be going back and forth to Tel Aviv, move to Boston, when I've got arguably one of the best uh, job markets, especially for what I do right here in my backyard. In the Valley, right. Silicon Valley, right. In the Valley. And the discussion we had was interesting and sort of relates to this, which was, yeah, there's, there's a way of thinking about doing things that it's kind of, we get into a little bit of group think, step out of it. And I'll tell you, the Israelis don't care what we're doing. They don't, they don't think about, well, how are they doing it there? Let's do it that way. There's a small measure of it, but it's also challenge, 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 challenge. And it's good to, st to take a step back and look at, okay, this is the way we've been doing it. 
Maybe we don't need to do it this way. Maybe we did because you're right, Andy, that is the sort of accepted specialization and there's reasons to do it. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily opposed to it, but I don't have them now. And it's not that I'm not going to add them, but I, I read Anthony, what you've written. And I think there's some really good, some really valid points in there. Let me, let me make one of them for you. I intentionally uh, put in the role of the BDR and the SDR as the same role or different roles rather. When some people think an SDR is a BDR and some companies now have a BDR and an SDR. Right. BDR so, for so, re- replying to inbound leads and SDRs for proactive outbound. Wh- right. Wh- and what, what, what is this, this difference? And so there's a BDR, then there's an SDR and no matter what they do, it has to be handed off to an AE who's supposed to close it. And then it goes to an AM who's supposed to be a farmer and doesn't have the skill set to create opportunities. But then they're supposed to come back and get an AE later on to come in and help them create an opportunity, even though they haven't seen that AE since they signed the contract. I mean, we just keep we just keep slicing thinner and thinner. And then we have salespeople now who are BDRs and SDRs and AEs and AMs who don't know anything. So they need a SME. And and you start looking at this, going, wait a second. A subject how matter expert, pers- just to define that. Subject matter <laughs> expert, yeah. How can a person who's not a subject matter expert be a trusted advisor when they have no advice? How how can you be a trusted advisor when you don't know anything? And everybody who's in front of a customer has to know enough that you can occupy the position of peer and counsel and trusted advisor with deep business acumen, the ability to create the case for change, help lead and manage that change. That's the role now. And I didn't get to decide this and I didn't, I'm not the one that designed any of this. I'm just telling you from a client's point of view, I need somebody who can sit down and help me. I don't need six people that none of them can do this job by themselves I don't need six people, and I definitely don't need one person to qualify me, because if all you can ask me is how serious I am, do I have a budget, do I have a timeline, is my need established, and am I the one that can make the decision, you're not creating any value for me. And and then I get the question, why don't people keep the appointments we make with them? Because they had the experience of the first appointment with you, and nothing happened. They didn't get any value. Right. So now you're going to want to give them a demo. And at the end of the demo, you're going to email them pricing. You don't know how to sell, period. So you look at this and I think it's just, it's too far. Should there be specialists in some areas? Absolutely. Do I think some people are really good account managers who can farm and create opportunities? Sure. Are there people who are much, much better at opportunity creation than they are maintenance of relationships? 100%. But I think when you get it sliced so thin that it doesn't make any sense to me as your client what I see, I think it's gone too far and it's going to be looked at. And I think it's going to be looked at. I think that even though the SaaS models have a lot of money to spend, by the way, mostly not their money, mostly venture capitalist money and mostly angel investor money, another group of people who know nothing about sales, um, you're going to start seeing people question this model and start to say, does it make sense to divide it this much or is there a better way? Well, I think one of the things they're doing with, with this model is is their their model for success is against itself as opposed to another model. So, you know, what one of the things I I see is that you know we have an industry, let's say the SaaS industry, which probably best exemplifies what you're talking about relative to specialization, is that in a real world sense, at least based on my decades of experience in B two B sales, what they find acceptable close rates are really low. So they're sort of self-reinforcing 
the model. They're accepting low close rates because they're getting this hyper-specialization, and they're willing to create lots of marginally qualified, throw lots of marginally qualified opportunities into their pipelines. And, you know, they're happy with a 20% close rate or a 23% close rate. You know this is a fashion business, right, Andy? A fashion business. Yeah, it's a fashion business. You know, uh, we now have uh, account-based everything. I invented uh, account-based social selling yesterday uh, because I figure social selling is dying, so now it's going to be account-based social selling, uh, which will bring social selling back to life when it's done with an account-based approach, which we used to call targeting multiple stakeholders. Right. You know, um, and you know, exact same thing. Dave, Dave Brock told me like I was doing that in 1979. You know, this is bell bottoms are back. That's all. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things I find really interesting is that, and it's sort of an irony, is that in the this disruptive industry, the SaaS business, technology business, that are you know, its its whole mo is to be disruptive of uh, the status quo. Is we've created a sales model that we sort of enforce rigorously that is all about conformity. Right, mm-hmm. we've got this process. We got this specialization. This is what we do. This is where the handoffs are. And as far as I can tell, and you know, because I've I interview probably more people in that business every year than anybody else in the world. And I bet that's true. And there's no one that says, "Well, yeah, this." We've looked at other models. We've tried other models. We put them into play, and we're using this one because it's the best. You know, somewhere people start drinking the Kool Aid on this. And now, as I said, serve this enforced, enforced mandate and driven by whether I said whether it's coming from the investment community or whatever that we're going to use this model. You know, I, I I'm just Anthony reading like the specialization that you describe in here really is. To, I've. I guess I've never seen it, or I've never implemented it to the degree that you have here. So that's interesting, and I would agree that that takes it a bit, a bit too far. So, what have you done? Well, I, I've had um, SDRs who also close some business, depending on the business, because I don't want. The thing I, the thing that I worry about with something being too scripted or too prescriptive, is that you also make the salespeople dumb in a way, and that's not what I want. That's also just my commitment to the people who work for me is to make them better and to help them grow and to help them learn. And the only way they're going to do it is if their roles are not so narrowly defined. And so I guess I, I look at a structure, but then there's nuance within the structure. So I'm very structured. I like, I, I like process. I go, I like metrics. So there's something about very clearly defined roles that I like, but I don't carve them up quite so discreetly. And part of it is because I have a couple of I have a couple of responsibilities in my role as a VP of sales. One obviously is to the business and to deliver revenue and to the shareholders, and that's all that's all good. Another one, which I would argue is even more important, is I have a commitment to the people who work for me, and that's to help them grow professionally and that's help to help them be successful. And if I can achieve that one, it turns out that the company and the investors get what they want also. So 
But are you an outlier I, in that regard? I mean, do you consider yourself an outlier because I'm? Pr- I might be. Because I mean, I took you know, a, I took a job with a company in Israel. Well, I know. But, I, yeah. I moved from San Francisco to Boston. Who would do that? Can I tell you? Well, you did that once before. What the weather? I know. See, so I'm an outlier. Yeah. What the weather's been like here in April? It's been snowing. It's been raining. In California, it's been beautiful. I'm out of my mind. So right. yeah, you could call me. Outlier. Well, but I'm saying the outlier in the sense that. You know, you get a very clear sense when you talk to a number of VPs of sales in, or CEOs even in, you know, tech startups, mostly SaaS in the Valley, is that, yeah, you know, SDRs, they've got a 12 to 18 month life, you know, shelf life, and not a lot of concern about the fact that that's the way it is, right? Is It's like, yeah, we're going to hire these people. We know they're going to burn out. We're just going to keep adding people to that. And it's been... The distinct minority of those I've spoken with, CEOs, that have said have the perspective you do to say, yeah, I mean, yeah, this this is a really crap job. And how can we make this better? How can we bring people in so this job has, you know, some value to it that it can have both to the employee as well as Anthony said, to the to the prospect, because as is currently constituted, has virtually none. And, and so another point that Anthony made, which is a really good one, and one of the reasons that I was uh attracted to this company, Logs.io, where I'm working, is they are committed to the to the customer and the customer experience and not just saying it. Because when you say, I'm committed to that experience and you do the kind of specialization that Anthony is describing, you're not really committed to it. And so I think I have support to do it maybe a, a different way. And, you know, we, we, we found each other. Logs.io found me. I found them. It's not good for the individual. It's not good for the prospect. So you, I've always had to find some balance between creating this flywheel and creating this machine, this mechanism of sales, and one that respects the individual who's in it and respects the customer and also respects the investment of our investors and revenue goals and it's not easy. Well, so I'll ask both of you. So where do you think it's going to go? I mean, I, I've got my my thoughts, but I mean, where do you think this is going to evolve? Because it's not going to stay the same. I mean, for reasons that, you know, the Anthony brings up as well as others, which is quite frankly, it's it's not clear that it's really working very well, right? I mean, there's some companies that are, yeah, there are companies that are succeeding and doing well, but that's not a function of their sales model, right? I mean, it's market, product market fit, it's timing, it's, you know, Lots of other factors that they always they get multifactorial, in there. Right. always. So, so it's it's not the sales model that's making those companies successful. So, so we could arguably say it is what it is right now. But you, we, there's no data to prove this is the best or optimal model. So, so where's it going to go? I think anytime a pendulum swings too far in one direction, it starts to swing back, and uh, I, I think that it'll it'll evolve back that direction. Because it'd be very difficult to slice any thinner than it is right now. So I think you'll see probably more people saying there's going to be a role for an inside person to take and create greater value and own more of the sales process uh, at some level. And I, I think that the, the the people who get this and who are thinking about it uh, need to think about what set of experiences do I need to give somebody in that role so that they can grow into a greater role? Because if all they can do is qualify, if that's their only role, then they're not going to grow up to be uh, a, a great salesperson because they're not given the opportunity to have the experiences that they need for that to be possible for them. 
Well, right. I mean, I, we talk about this word qualifying, and and I think that yes, there are some companies that are saying, yeah, we want to bring our SDRs deeper into it. We want to have them help with qualification, but without <coughs> without the the context, the experience, and the context of actually going through discovery, you know, real discovery. Let's say with the prospect, you can't qualify before discovery. All you can qualify is they're qualified to have a meeting, not that they're a qualified opportunity. Everybody's doing way too much qualifying anyway, and the reason they're doing so much qualifying is because they don't understand where the buyer is in their cycle and how to help them. And the fact of the matter is, you know, I know AEs that expect a ready-to-buy lead. And so if they're early stage and they're not quite dissatisfied enough to move, but they sense that dissonance that they need to start looking because they don't understand what's happening, Mm -hmm. they don't want that person. Well, tough. That's what you got. And you get what you get. A lead's like a lottery ticket. You scratch it and you see what's there. That's it. Where'd you hear that the first time? Uh, there's a cat that wrote a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I don't know. You know, you you just got to check, right? You got to check exactly and see if if there's anything there. And you play whatever whatever you got. If they're if they're not totally dissatisfied, make them dissatisfied. If they are dissatisfied and they don't really understand the root cause of their need, teach them what it is. That's your job. You're supposed to be creating value for that person on the other end. And qualifications, not value creating. That's something that we do because we think we need to be more efficient. What's efficient is serving the person that's dealing with you right now in a way that helps them move forward in the process. Yeah, well, I mean, you just start running up against now, you know, but I wouldn't say specifically now, but in general, right? So qualification is, you know, it's a, it could be a, uh, an extra criteria for a stage they're in, right? So you have your sales process that's laid out and, you know, unless you're hitting this, common definition of what qualification is, then yeah, they don't go into the pipeline. Yeah. But that's a, uh, that's a different thing though, because the pipeline is one thing, but selling is another. And what I mean by that is if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're not ready to buy and they're not an opportunity yet, but they're going to be, I still have an opportunity to create something in mm-hmm. the future. I have the ability to create an opportunity in the future. So if they're not ready to buy right now, I mean, throw them back if you want to, but I'm just saying it's not a wise choice. Nope. If you went to the trouble to capture a lead and you actually have one and it's not a target, but it's somebody who raised their hand and said, I'm talking to somebody, they're talking to you for a reason. You have to figure out how to serve them. Exactly. And I think I think we're overqualifying and going, well, they're not ready to buy right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, who's going to help them get ready? Your competitor. Because you're not gonna you're not gonna help them. You have to help them. So wherever they are, you serve them. But I think it's tough to do with the BDR and SDR role, explained mostly by the idea that check and see if they have a budget, which doesn't matter anymore because uh, nobody has a budget for what you sell. But everybody has the money to buy it if they believe they need it. Mm-hmm. Then then find the authority when there is no authority anymore. Everything's being decided by consensus, except in very small deals. And there's a whole bunch of people who are going to come into a deal. CEB says 6.8 people now. Uh, That's a lot of people. More than that now. They said (laughs) (laughs) 7.2. 7.2. I don't know who this 0.2 or that 0.8 was, but they should get together and be a whole person. Exactly. And then you've got the uh, time. They can do it whenever they want. It's You're going to create the urgency by building a case for them. And do they have the need? They didn't know they had a need. I mean, they they found something. They're looking at it. Help them establish a need and show them how it it, it solves their root cause problem. And I think that 
this is the thing that if you're a young person and you're in a BDR, SDR role, and that's how you think your job goes, you're not going to have a lot of clients fall in love with you because asking them questions about those particular issues isn't value creating for them. Well, it yeah, just think, is Absolutely. I think, and I, I'm sorry, Bridget, I don't monopolize the, the talk, but I mean, just last point and then you can jump in is, is, you know, I said this years ago, somebody that uh, we all know who leads a big company in the space is, the reason this, this model is kind of nuts is that we take the people who have the least knowledge and least expertise, and we make that our first impression we create on the prospect. Yeah, good call. And it's nuts, absolutely nuts. Bridget, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's also, uh, just in, in thinking about qualification, BANT is a very narrow sort of way to qualify. Like when I encourage people when they're qualified and qualifying is so important, just knowing where a rep should spend his or her time. But when you're qualifying, it could be, Anthony, as you pointed out, you're, I don't want, a uh, BDR and SDR and AE, anybody to qualify. If the, if, if they're not ready to buy right now, I don't want them thrown out. So I think there's a broader definition of qualifying that is really just understanding are, do they have a situation that could potentially, are they having an issue, a pain, a problem, or some aspiration that I could potentially be uh, a partner with them to either solve that problem or to achieve that aspiration? Maybe now, maybe later, they may not be exactly the right person. They may. There's a lot of pieces to that. And I think that's why sales is interesting. Sales is problem solving. Sales is education. That's what makes it interesting. And if you strip away and, and make it so, um, so narrow, God, it's not a very interesting role. It's not a role. Uh, it's not a role I'm interested in. Well, yeah. I mean, but don't you think it's sort of interesting that, you know, oftentimes in a lot of companies with this type of inside sales model that one of their key metrics they're following is, is pipeline velocity. And so, yeah, if if people aren't moving from stage to stage fast enough, then MQLs, uh, SQLs, there's a lot of qualifying going on. Well, all those conversion, all those conversion metrics. I I think it's okay. I, I think you know you're always qualifying. You're always qualifying throughout the sales process. I don't have a problem with qualifying. I think it's how the qualifying's done, and is there value creation along the way? Because if if I'm on the other side and this isn't a good fit, if this solution is not a good fit, please qualify me out. Don't waste any more of my time. So I think part of it is how it is, part of it's how it's set up. It can't be one way. If it's a one-way street, the prospect's going to pick that up right off the bat. The intent has to be value creation on both sides. Does it make sense for us to spend time together? Does it make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. I, sorry, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were saying yes. It makes time for us to spend time together. Yeah, I thought Anthony was gonna. I'm gonna respond to that. Yeah, we don't want empty air on on air. But um, any thoughts on that, Anthony? No, I I just think that my in my experience, there's a lot of qualifying that is bant, and there's a lot of conversations that are not real value creation, and there's a lot of. AEs and people beyond the BDR and SDR role who are unhappy when they do the value creation. And that's got to be looked at. 
And somebody has to look at that and say, what is their role? And are they going to grow? Are they going to be happy in this role? Do they get to develop the kind of client relationships that make sales a fulfilling job? Do they get to work on interesting problems? Or are they just going to uh, dial the phone or answer the phone and and ask people questions to try to determine whether or not they should pass them on to somebody who can do the real value creating. And Andy, to your point, I mean, it's, it's exactly right. Why would you withhold a value creator from a prospective client and give them something less than that at the beginning of the process? It doesn't make any sense. The first impression is these people have no idea what's going on or who I am or what we need. So I can move on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, if people yeah, are so, wondering, so wondering, make sure, right. Make make sure your BDOs or SDRs can create value. I I I, I, I go back to what what actually how you define that role, and if you have it so narrow narrowly defined, and it's really just band, figure out band. Do the and and I would agree that there are some that have definitely taken that that approach, that assembly line approach. I think that's going to go away because I don't think our prospects and customers will stand for it. I think the conversion rates will just continue to plummet. The SaaS companies and everybody where you used to live feels otherwise. And they think all of this is going to be done by artificial intelligence and no human beings are going to be necessary. Well, they've been saying that, I think, for a long time. They've, I've heard for a long time in my career that my job is going to be unnecessary. I'll wait till I'll be I'll wait till it happens. Well, but the point being is, uh, is that if if the SDRs and BDRs are not adding any more value than they are today, and I've, I've you know, will I, be. I, they will be replaced. I mean, I listen to lots of recorded phone calls, and yeah, if if we're not going to get better, if we're not, if you are right. listening to this and you're an SDR and you're thinking, yeah, I can't add more value than than what you know AI with machine learning can do, then yeah, you're going to be out of work. And this is this is where. You know, value creation, human to human and around a human to human basis, really becomes a distinct skill that's become more important, not less important, more important, and it's going to be a key differentiator going forward. I believe a key differentiator going forward. Well, and you know, there's this notion that salespeople are coin operated, and you know what? If you treat them like they're coin operated, you're going to get nothing better than a coin operated person or machine. And I'll tell you, the, the person on the other end of the phone or the email is going to pick up that I've got just a click above a machine on the other side that's going the, through the process. And that's, I, I, I don't see that persisting. And, and I know that my, my people, my people in the Valley may disagree, but. Um, well, I mean, for SDRs, if, if they're not better, a better resource on the website, then that's a problem. Well, right. That's that should be the, <laughs> that's the that's the minimum bar. And if they're not a better resource than what you could do with AI or a recording, well, then I I'd vote for the AI or, or recording well, if they're not l- be better. L- l- let me come to the defense of SDRs and BDRs everywhere and say they are better than that. The question is, are you going to allow them? To create the value well, that they can, because yes. certainly they certainly have more more capability. Don't no disagreement there. Oh, I think the, they have the, the capability. I don't think it's them. I think it's the people that have put them in those those roles. It's it's, it's always leadership, and uh, and and that's what I think this is, and that's why I wrote it. I think it's a charge for leadership to think about what we do, and do we serve the people that work for us, and do we serve the client when we slice things this thinly? Yeah, why well, I, I I don't think we do. I mean, I 
and anybody that's read what I've written or listens to the show know that, that that's what I believe. It's it's not there's not a role for some of this, but if you're not serving the customer better and serving the person better, I think at least I said from my perspective. Yeah, I, I mean this I think about you know this is not a job I would want. I mean I started my first job in sales was out door to door calling you know, business to business selling, selling computers door to door, you know, making 30, 40, 50 calls, cold calls a day until I found a better way to do it to prospect. But, you know, that's, that's not what you want to do for forever. And even made then, you, it made you a better rep, but it made me a better rep, right? That, that experience was invaluable, but I wasn't scripted. I was, I was, I was given a, a territory and said, go do it, right? I'm as trained. But I think part of the issue too is that that these processes become so rigid, as I mentioned before. As you know, the irony here is that you know we've got disruptive industries that are valuing conformity, and it's like you know if I look back on when I started, this is a big company, multi-billion-dollar company, and you know we had twelve salespeople in the office, and you know there, in essence we're selling twelve sales processes going on. But we had the same distribution of success as every other sales organization does. It's it's individual. Yeah, but and that's one of the things I I'm arguing for more and more. There's these days is that you know let let the people free, right? We've got these intelligent well, listen, people. We've got these if, intelligent people that, to your point earlier, we need, that, yeah, we need the, people writing books. Well, let them innovate. But let the SDRs innovate. Work, if the process worked by itself, then I wouldn't have the conversations I have because here's the thing: poor performers tell me. Our product sucks, our price is too high, our competitors are irrational, and our clients don't perceive the value that we create. And then I say, well, then why are the top 10 people in this company making the kind of money they are with your same terrible product, your horrible pricing structure, the same irrational competitors that you have and customers who can't see the value of what you sell? You all have the same process, but there are 10 people here who happen to be the top 10. How is that possible? And it can't be the process by itself, because if everyone was following the same process, you would have all top performers. And it, it isn't going to happen because it's individual. Mm-hmm. It's the individual that makes a difference. And if it wasn't true and somebody could uh, could do better, they would. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the, all the industry... The all is the in- important, but it's not going to be enough. Right. And all the industry reports that we see, that we commonly see, don't show... That with all the infusion of of technology into the sales space, that it's made us better as a profession. That our performance has gotten better. That we're closing higher perfraction of deals in the business to business sphere. I mean, I'd be glad to have somebody show me a stat that's different. But if you look at CSO Insights and Forrester and so on, they're saying, yeah, we're actually getting but, a little, getting a little worse. But Andy, we didn't have account based marketing and okay, selling so until just no. now. So that that will cure all the problems that social selling didn't cure. And that will cure all the problems that CRM was supposed to solve. And finally, we'll be closing the business the way we should when we can actually monitor all of these things across the sales process with an account-based approach. I promise you. You'll, you'll see a massive spike from CSO next year. <laughs> okay. I'm smiling. Yeah, I know but. you're smiling. Know. We we're all, all are. We're all smiling, we all yes. Are. Yeah, yeah we, for people that don't know, don't know Anthony, he was... He was uh, speaking in a joking fashion there. So, um, all right. Well, let's, gosh, we've gone on a little bit longer than we thought we were, but any other final points? I just hope this is an account-based podcast. Absolutely. It has to be. It is. Account-based podcast. Account-based everything. Yeah. ABE. ABP. 
account based Andy. Paul, Paul account based Andy. That's ABA. right, account based Andy, ABA. ABA. Well, you know, Andy has the answer. So account based Andy. Here we go. All right. Well, guys, it's it's. Why well, I laugh? It's well. I'll tell a story offline, but uh, there's a history with that. So, Anthony, thanks for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. We'd love to do it again. Thanks sometime. for having me. Write something else. Yeah, again. Yeah, let's that, do it again. Write something else, really provocative, and we'll keep having you back on. Well, I wrote a book, so I hope you bring me back on for that. Well, you've been on for the, the book, but we'll be glad. Book two. No, book, oh, book two. Right, of course, book two. August eighth. Well, less then. than ten months from book one. All right. All so. Right. So, actually, yeah, we'll talk offline about getting you scheduled for that. And uh, Bridget, as always, fantastic. As always, fantastic. a pleasure. And uh, friends, thanks for listening to us again. As We really appreciate it. Come back again next Friday. And uh, until then, good selling, everyone. All right. Have a good one.